Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on Vince Annable, who is... Uh, he runs Wealth Strategies Advisory Group, which is an RIA, and he also is the creator of the Household Endowment Model, which was uh, turned into a book called The Household Endowment Model. Uh, so, Vince, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so, so tell us about just a little bit more of what your firm does, and then we can jump into the book. Okay. Uh, and a little bit about you, too. The, you know, little, what's that? And a little bit about who you are as well. All right, a little bit about me. Uh, background. I was born and raised in Southern California, spent my days in the 60s hitchhiking up and down Pacific Coast Highway with my surfboard. Nice. And finally uh, grew out of that, went in the Air Force, got married, have five children, lived in Texas, moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where I live now and have for about the last 15 years. Uh, created Wealth Strategies Advisory Group out of the mess of 2008, 2009. And we are a registered investment advisor. We deal primarily with affluent clients uh, and also have created as part of our household endowment model we, and our RIA, we have created our own virtual family office for our clients and we have named that the virtual uh, virtual family VFO, excuse me, VFO advisory group. So we're pretty involved in doing total wealth management and providing all types of solutions for affluent clients as opposed to just recommendations on investing. However, we know the top five concerns of investors. Number one happens to be preservation of capital, uh, they don't like to lose money, and that is why we created the household endowment model back in 2009. Interesting. So how, what, what had you come up with this idea to, to build this? Well, I was watching what was going on in the marketplace, uh, 2008, 2009, I'm sure, Eric, you remember those days. I do. Uh, people were jumping off of buildings or threatening to, and major banks were going broke, and major brokerage firms broke. Everybody was going downhill, the mortgage meltdown, et cetera. You remember, there was a lot of pain going on. Yes. And I decided that we needed to change the way we were investing and modeling for our clients' investments because when a black swan arrives, uh, it does not work. So I started looking for different ways to do that, came across alternative investments, and came across David Swenson, who is the chief investment officer at Yale for the Yale Endowment Fund, and started studying what they were doing, found out that David Swenson was, had gone from, in 1988, he was 70 plus percent invested in U.S. stocks, Today, he's less than 10% in U.S. stocks, and I noticed the trend there was he was coming out of publicly traded securities and going to private securities, private equity, private real estate, private debt, et cetera. Right. I mean, he like owns like timber and you know, like things like that, right? Correct. Yeah. All different types of private, non-correlated, 
non-public, some public, but non-public also. So they do not move in sync with what the market's doing because you can buy a real estate fund that's publicly traded and it goes up just like the S&P does regardless of what kind of assets they have in there. So we decided that we were going to create this model for affluent clients. Our clients are accredited investors and we started researching, finding alternative investments, private investments to do due diligence on. And we started creating what is now called the household endowment model, which was really named after the fact that the endowment model was the type of strategy we wanted to utilize that institutions and endowments were using. So we decided to name it the household endowment model as opposed to an institutional endowment model, obviously taking into concern there's much more need for liquidity, not as much can be invested or should be normally invested for the normal client in non-publicly traded assets. So walk us through this. I mean, it, it, your book obviously goes pretty deep in, 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 into how you, how you build this, but you know, for the listeners, w- walk us through what exactly this consists of? I mean, you, you give us a nice broad overview, but if I was, say, a potential new client, had you know a bunch of family money, and I said, oh, this this having an endowment model for my own family seems interesting, you know, w- w- walk us through what that looks like. Well, the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to spend a great deal of time uh, talking with you, doing what we refer to as a discovery meeting sure you've heard that term before. This is where we're going to learn all about you because the most important thing about that portfolio we are eventually going to build for you is going to be based off of what your family dynamics look like, what your risk profile looks like, ages, requirements for income, requirements for liquidity. So first of all, we are going to do an x-ray on Eric and his family. After doing that, we're going to come back with a portfolio that may be 30, 40, 50% invested in private equity, private real estate, private debt, all different sorts. We may have 20 different private programs in a client's portfolio. Uh, To round it out, we want a great deal of diversification and we want to use all the different private sectors and venture capital, et cetera, that are available. So after we put together a recommended sample portfolio, we review that with a client. And at that time, we go through each of the recommended uh, positions or investments that will be in there. And we also introduce them to our chief investment officer that we utilize for all of our liquid securities as well. So we spend quite a bit of time educating the client. First of all, we have the client educate us. Then we build out a portfolio and we help educate them as to what this looks like, what our expectations are, et cetera. Interesting. So what is your process for finding, um, especially on the, on, on the non-liquid side? I mean, there, there's so many different kinds of assets out there. How do you sure. guys not only source your ideas, but then pick and choose uh, what's appropriate for your clients? Well, first, uh, because we've been doing this now for quite some time, uh, a lot of the folks out there that provide these private types of investments know who we are and know that we like to look at new ideas for our clients. And so we have a lot of new opportunities brought to us. 
and we have existing relationships with people we have done business with since 2010, 2011 in the private sector. So we get exposed to a lot of different ideas. We then put together a due diligence process. We will go and meet face-to-face these days now via Zoom. Uh, But historically, we have gone to meet face-to-face with these sponsors, meet the key players, the founders, the managers, and spend some time getting to know them, uh, pull together. Because the first thing we want to do is make sure we can feel good about what these people are doing. We see how they work together, and we feel good about having them taking care of our clients' money. The next step is we start reviewing their background, their data, doing the due diligence process with myself and a couple of uh, other people on our team. And then, and only then, do we allow our clients to be introduced to some of these different opportunities. Okay, interesting. So can you talk us and walk us through um, some of these uh, non-liquid assets, some of, the, some of the kind of stuff you're looking at, some of, some of the things that look interesting to you today in today's market? Sure. Uh, well, private equity is very attractive today in a lot of different sectors, as is venture capital. We have a group we work with out of Beverly Hills, California, Levine Lightman. They have been doing private equity for about 40 years now, and they focus on providing capital and debt for family-owned businesses, people that are now trying to maybe sell out a portion. Um, They have done a historically good job for us. We have a venture capital firm that creates a venture capital uh, fund, so a client might invest a million dollars in this fund and they will have the client invested in about 20 different uh, early stage and uh, pre-IPO types of investments. We have different real estate opportunities. We work with uh, different developers who specialize in certain sectors, in hotels, in multifamily. Uh, and today we have Uh, seen an awful lot in the opportunity zone area. So we like a lot of different sectors now, but we also like to make sure that we aren't using uh, a large percentage of anybody's portfolio in any one investment. And we also like debt a lot right now. There's a lot of distressed debt out there that we're looking at that is looking opportunistic. Mm Mm-hmm. What uh, and what in what industries do you find? Uh, uh, one is hotel. Um, makes, makes is that because of COVID? Uh, yeah, that's because of COVID. I mean, the hotel industry was going great guns until COVID hit. And so, are, are you was, are you looking at? Sorry to cut you off, but are are you sure. looking at hotels where you think normalized earnings really haven't been impaired, but there's a temporary hiccup? So, if you can lend some capital to a hotel to get through this period, you'll you'll actually come out pretty good and you can get a higher interest rate. Is that, what, is that correct. the strategy? We, okay. with, yeah, we work with a uh, company out of Atlanta, Peachtree, and okay. they are experts at uh, this particular space and it's limited service. So they're going to be Marriott Courtyards. They're going to... Uh, be Hilton's, but not the full service, not five-star, four-star. They don't have to have the full-service restaurant there all the time. It's the the 
business traveler uh, hotel type, which occupancy typically with them, they like to see break evens at about 50%. And that's when they become profitable after that. We've had occupancies down to 10 and 20 now uh, coming back in the 40 to 50% range. So these guys go out and source a lot of opportunities because a lot of people know them and come to them. Yeah. But again, it's limited service, so you don't have a lot of direct overhead constantly eating up cash flow, especially now when you have uh, this low occupancy time. What kind of, so interest, what kind of interest rates are you getting on, on hotel debt right now? Uh, hotel debt right now, they're getting about 13%. That's great. Yes. Well, great for you. <laughs> Correct. Sucks for the hotel, but I mean, I, I, I guess if if it if it's the difference between keeping your business afloat for a few years, how how long how long term is is the debt that you that you um when you lend out to these hotels? Uh, uh, the debt on those is typically going to be about three years. Okay. And we also have some other debt programs that are ranging that are uh, bridge type. Uh, for developers that range anywhere from six months to two years. And we also are looking at um, other types of real estate where right now they may have been bogged down in a construction project and they need to just get it from, get it to completion. Yep. So there, and right now there are an awful lot of opportunities out there uh, on the private side. Interesting. It, it's it's interesting too with interest rates being so low and with a lot of private equity firms out there that there's still opportunity. Because um, I, I you know my my initial sort of just gut reaction would be that that space is so crowded it might be hard to get good returns. But you seem to be doing pretty well. Yeah, and we don't use a. Um, shotgun approach we don't just bring on everybody right but we go out and find the different firms that are actually specializing in one particular niche not trying to do too much yep we have some funds right now that are in innovation and technology uh that are doing extremely well and that's because of what's happening so a lot of opportunity coming up now we have a lot of people who are invested in health sciences uh, on the private equity debt side, and now that's looking like one of the strongest allocations we could have had. Now, do you typically have like a fixed allocation model, or are you typically allocating to where you just find opportunity and it'll be different, you know, today than it will be in five years from now? Uh, yes, it'll definitely be different. Uh, it'll be different later this year, uh, but it's also again goes back to the client. So we will have. We will build a portfolio precisely for that client's profile and needs. Got it. And then you, you also go ahead. Cookie cutters. What's that? Go no. Go ahead. Sorry. We don't have any cookie cutters here. Not that's that, that's what it seems like. Yeah. No. On the um, public public asset side. So is it is it mostly just stocks and bonds on, on that end? Stocks, bonds, ETFs. We have a money manager that we use that functions as a complete and total platform for RIAs. They are an RIA also that's Clarify Advisory Network. They are in Southern California and an office in New York City. Mm -hmm. 
And we go to them when we want to build out a public portfolio to merge with our private portfolios. And they do the research on the public side. They put together the different portfolios for us to look at and do all the due diligence on those particular assets. And we actually did extremely well during the COVID pullback with them and recovered quite nicely right afterwards without a lot of downside. And what's the, what's the process uh, for their stock picking? Um, I leave that to, leave to them. Uh, I leave that to them. They are, they've got a couple of CFAs and very smart people that put together the portfolio. They do the stock picking um, and I know that they look at different sectors they don't want to be in, and then they look at other sectors that they want to find exactly what they're looking for that they believe is going to be beneficial in the current environment. But I don't get involved in selecting that. I work with them. We're a team, and I have them take care of the public side. Got it. Now, you said something interesting before that the on the private uh, side – that things will even look different at the end of the year. What can you can you go into a little bit more detail on on, on that? Uh, well, what I meant by that is you were asking me if we have a standard portfolio right. or if it's going to change in five years. And I would say the reason I say it would, could be changing at the end of the year is because as things change, we are adjusting our allocations and percentages and sectors to what that change looks like. And I don't know if by the end of this year things are going to start looking better or worse because I have quite frankly don't have any history on COVID. Right. <laughs> so since this is a whole new deal for us, we could see things look extremely different and we have to adjust again. Um, and then again, things may be smoothing out and taking off. We also have an election that we're going to have to watch and see what's going to happen there. So the reason I said that is because we have to be fluid in how we build out these portfolios and make these adjustments. Got it. Now, are there other industries? I know you mentioned hotels. Are there other industries where you see there's opportunity based off some, um, you know, temporary distress in those industries that, that you can, you know, take advantage of? Uh, well, distress-wise, right now, uh, we're looking at some of the opportunities in development because there are some developers who had right, some very good ideas that were in place, and then all of a sudden, COVID hit. So now, prices are changing, sellers are adjusting, and so there's different opportunities to go out and complete some deals that maybe somebody else couldn't complete before. So that could be in a uh, opportunity zone. That could be in multifamily. Um, not a lot in office, but uh, we do recognize that certain types of retail mixed in with a hotel and mixed in with uh, other types of uh, real estate in a, a condensed area can be very beneficial. And sometimes the developers run out of money and they can't complete the project. So there's different opportunities there. And how, how do you structure those deals? 
we don't structure those. We okay. rely on general partners to structure all of that. We rely on the the sponsors, the general partners, mm-hmm. and we have some that we work with very closely that have extremely long-term track records. We work with a group that uh, does nothing but industrial. They've been in business 75 years at Sealy & Company out of Dallas and Shreveport. They've been in business 75 years. They've done a tremendous job. It's a family office, basically, that has done all the industrial. One of their tenants is Amazon. So they go out and source the tenants they're going to have in their industrial, and they do a great job. We've got another firm we've been working with that has been around for almost 40 years, and all they do is triple net corner of Maine and Maine essential real estate. Our trust. We have another firm, Shop Off, out of Southern California that has been around 40 years. So most everybody we work with has some very long-term track records to look at. They have been through a lot of different cycles, and they know how to adjust to these cycles. Interesting. Do you guys do any uh, do any investments in like data warehouses or self storage? Uh, self storage, yes. We uh, have a couple of different self storage. We've done. We did one last year with a group doing a combination of urban retail with self storage. Um, data centers, we are not directly involved with. Currently, we are working with a group to provide uh, off-the-grid technology for electricity for data centers, um, which is a very hot area right now. I was going to say, that must be a pretty good business the last few years. Yes, uh, they've been doing really well. The When you, when you said you, you're mixing self-storage with, what did you say, was ur- urban retail? Is that what you said? Yeah. So they will be in an urban area. They'll go up three, four stories uh, with the classical air-conditioned storage units. But then on the first floor, they'll have maybe a mini Whole Foods, a Starbucks, a pharmacy, et cetera. And what's – that's interesting. What's the – What's the strategy behind doing that? Because that's, I mean, that's so, like, I'm going to go to Whole Foods and then go to my self-storage unit. How do, what's the what's the meth thinking behind well, uh, combining those downtown two? Well, downtown and you've got an urban area that is downtown. Yep. So why not take advantage of, there's a lot of multifamily in the uh, downtown urban areas now. So many people went back to uh, that urban environment. So they need self-storage and don't want to have to drive out of town to go get access to it. But also in an urban area, you're going to have a lot of commercial real estate, business owners. You're going to have uh, office space. And it's a lot less expensive to store non-essential items in a uh, self-storage than it is uh, in square footage. You're paying three or four or five hundred bucks to build out. No, so that makes sense. that's part of it. And then also at the lower level, they can continually keep regular uh, income coming in because they have access for these people in multifamily and offices to come to a Starbucks, come to a uh, mini Whole Foods or whatever it might be down there. Interesting. Um, it's really interesting what you, what you do. Um is there any other thing around the household endowment model? I mean, I was more interested on the investment side of things, but right. uh, is is there anything that's you know niche or 
particularly you think interesting to talk about? I, I'm sure we could talk for five hours about this, you know, ob- obviously, but right. uh, for the purposes of this interview and more on the investment end, is there anything you feel like I haven't covered that you're like, oh, we definitely should talk about this? Uh, sure. Well, the book was broken down into two parts. Part one was all about the investment side and building out an endowment model for a client. Yep. Part two was all about the other four, five different issues that people are very concerned about, i.e., not just capital preservation, but tax mitigation. They want tax planning. They want to do, want to make sure they have uh, estate planning, asset protection, charitable giving. So we spend the second half of the book discussing these other elements, which is why we built out what we refer to as our virtual family office. You understand the term family office. Well, there's an awful lot of people out there that don't have 150, 250, a billion dollars to set up their own family office, but they want access to all of those networks and they want access or those network professionals, experts in all of the different areas that are going to be important to them. So we basically have on-demand financial services, if you will, to manage people's wealth in all different areas. We do a stress test on their taxes. We do stress tests on their estate plan. And we have a team of professionals in all of these different categories that works with us. So when we have a new client coming on board, we put that client's profile in front of all of our different experts, and we discuss areas we need to look at. There may be some holes in their boat. So we need to identify different things. We want to see different documents. We scrub their tax returns. We scrub their wills and trusts, et cetera. Take a look at all their commercial real estate uh, insurance policies, their life insurance policies. All of that type of thing is key to be able to provide a full wealth management service to a client, not just invest their money. How, no, how did you start that? Because, I mean, you obviously would need some scale um, to build out something like that. So, like, on day one, were you doing that from day one, or had you been in business for a while to then be able to offer something like that for clients? No, I'd, we had been in business for a while, and the first thing we did is we laid out the foundation and created the endowment model for the investment side because that's typically everybody's number one concern. Once we had that completed, and while we were working on that, we started developing key relationships with attorneys and with CPAs and with insurance uh, specialists of all different types. Um, And we, in creating these relationships, we started creating this professional network. I'm part of a mastermind group that is made up of two very influential people in the wealth management world. One, his name is Russ Allen Prince. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Uh -uh. He's authored about 62 books. I refer to him as the godfather of family offices. He spends his time consulting with billionaire families globally. Well, I'm part of a mastermind group of about 10 of us with Russ Allen Prince. And his uh, partner in this other venture is John Bowen. Have you heard that name before? Nope. Okay, John Bowen was one of the, was the first uh, that created an RIA back in the 90s of a couple of billion dollars, sold it to Schwab, and understands very much how the advisory business works, how to grow it. 
So he started a company called CEG Worldwide, and in doing so, started training advisors on how they need to differentiate themselves and not look like every other advisor. Hmm. So that's how I got involved with that. And being involved with Russ Allen Prince, who does all things family office, they came up with the virtual family office idea, and we've been expanding on it. I was going to say, you certainly have differentiated yourself. Yes, that was the goal. Now, are there other firms that are doing this particular um, model where it's this all-inclusive? Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they. there's not – I mean, different people have different ideas on how they do their endowment model. Different mm-hmm. people have already got a professional network. They don't typically – there's a few that are starting to use the term virtual family office, but – not a lot of people have started adapting to that yet, but they're still doing the same type of thing. We believe that we have tightened it up pretty strongly because of the uh, guys that we're working with, with Russ and with John Bowen, because of their expertise in that area. So we believe we've really tightened up and put together a uh, a great format for wealthy, ultra-wealthy clientele. I think it's great, and and I just want to say too, I I, I really loved your book. Um, for great. for people who want to find out, you know, go deeper into this model than we've done on the podcast. If they want to buy your book, uh, can they get it on Amazon or what's the best place? Yes, uh, okay, that's where it's available on Amazon. Uh, we do not have the Audible version yet, but it is on Kindle or it is uh, a soft cover. And it was at one time under portfolio management, a couple other areas after it came out was rated number one. Got it. And for people that just want to either be in touch with you or learn more about your firm, what's the best way for them either to reach out to you or to you know reach out to your firm? Uh, they can reach me, Vince Annable, directly at the office in Scottsdale. And there's a phone number, 480 889 Eight nine eight five, or they can reach me at Vince at W S A G R I A dot com. That's Wealth Strategies Advisory Group R I A dot com. They can also go to the Household Endowment Model dot com website to view some things there, and Wasagaz dot com. Uh, which is our master website that's actually being redone as we speak. I think Jeff, who is listening in, uh, was taking care of that as well. All right, great. And we'll put all of those links uh, into the show notes uh, for oh, listeners. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. And they can just go to ericschlein.com slash podcast to, to find the show notes for that. Perfect. Thanks so much, Eric. Yeah, Vince. Well, hey, it was a pleasure to have you on. And um, you know, I wish you continued success with what you're up to. Thank you very much. And let us know when this will be posted because we would put it out on social media as well. Absolutely. I, I, I will uh, email you um, once this is all, all up. All right. Very good. Thanks, Eric. I enjoyed the time very much today. Likewise. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.